Good morning. Welcome to Skillman this morning. And I will say again, happy Father's Day. It is a great day. And we're glad that all of our dads, granddads, and those that act as dads, as as Leah reminded us this morning in the announcement time, we are so incredibly grateful for you. This is the third of a series that we have called Risk It. And that's what we're asking us as a church to take a look at the risk that the kingdom demands. Last week, John Mark Davidson talked about the risk of authentic and transparent relationships and why that's important and why we should invest in that way. The first week, I talked about the risk of servanthood. And how if we're going to be kingdom people, we are called to take some kingdom-sized risk when it comes to our engagement and our willingness to engage with other people. And as Jake mentioned, this Sunday, we want to talk about the risk of fatherhood. What does it actually mean for us? And so we will look at some principles that will be good for all of us, but some principles specifically that will be great for our dads. Dads kind of get a bad rap in some ways, don't you think? We're the guys known as the bad joke club. And I mean bad jokes in the fact that we tell corny jokes. We just do. It's just part of the thing. We think they're hilarious Our children don't think they're that hilarious from time to time. And so I found something that kind of pointed that out. Take a look at this as we start this morning. Okay, dads, let's go ahead and get started, guys. Now, some of you have already let me know how uncomfortable you were in last week's meeting. So tonight, we're going to try to respect each other's boundaries. What? Tonight we've also got a guest with us, David. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hey, guys. I'm David. David. How many kids do you have, David? None. At least not at the moment. Uh, my wife is pregnant, and uh, she should be delivering any day now. That's great. Super. Oh, Who would like to go first? Anyone. <laughs> Anyone. I'll go. Perfect. Todd? Yes. My daughter and I went to the mall, and she said she wanted to take the stairs to the second level. And I said, I don't trust stairs because they're always up to something. (laughs) Todd, I'm sorry that happened. I encourage you to try to resist the urge to make jokes like that. My turn? Can I go? Okay. Yesterday, actually, my daughter got home and she asked me how my day was. And I said, well, a guy tried to sell me a coffin, but that's the last thing I need. Oh, Jerry, that joke is dead on arrival. Because it's the last thing I need. David, how about you? Oh, I I didn't. I didn't. This is a safe zone. Just jump on in. Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm just scared of being a dad. I'm afraid I'm going to start telling bad jokes just like my dad. Well, it might be in our nature. We can fight against it. Hey, speaking of nature, I tried to catch some fog yesterday. I missed. <laughs> M-I-S-T. Oh, You're a monster. This is where the boundary is. I'm done. This is where you are. Hello? Really? Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll be right there. 
That was Julie. Her water just broke. I guess the baby finally ran out of womb. <laughs> I'm gonna be a dad. Don't you think it should be going? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just sorry. But I will say to us that being a father is no joke. And the truth of the matter is we all have our battles, we all have our moments of struggle. Paul, in that classic treatise in Romans 7, makes this statement beginning in verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. I think we are challenged as a people in this culture every day to do the right thing. I think that's true particularly when it comes to dads and when it comes to fatherhood and how we deal with that. Being open, being honest, being transparent. All of those things are values that we want, but we have to be intentional about playing them out. See, I think that Christians have a bad rap anyway, but I think Christian men in particular have one. I think when the world sometimes think of Christian men, they think of this Simpson cartoon character. I think I've got a slide of him. That's Ned Flanders. And you look at him and you see him and you go, really? And yet I think that's how the world sometimes, when you put the word Christian and man or Christian and father together, you kind of get that. Let, let me tell you something. I don't think there's a prototype for a Christian dad or a Christian father. I, I know some Christian dads and fathers that are these outdoor, powerful, very, you know, very virile, out in the world kind of guys. And I also know some incredible Christian dads who are gentle and who are kind and who are cerebral and all of those things. And I know a bunch of guys who are both of those things. I don't think there's a prototype for what it's supposed to look like. So regardless of our personalities, here's what I believe. All Christians, all persons who follow Christ are called to live a life that is greater than anything we could do on our own. Amen? God calls us to something, and he calls us to something specific. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, makes this statement that Rebecca even referred to this morning in the communion meditation. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake 
will save it. And look how he closes this passage out because it's so important. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? A lot of my ministry time is spent with people that try to live in two worlds. They want all of the advantages that faith in Christ bring. They want all of the things that being a disciple of Christ can bring to them. They, they look for those kind of things, yet at the same time, they want to remain in control and in charge of their own life. God, I'll let you make these decisions, but I'm not so sure I want you to make these decisions over here. After all, I think I know what is best. I think I know what it is that I need to do. And here's what's ended up happening in culture. I think in culture, we have taken what was supposed to be a life full of adventure and challenge, and we have lamed it up. See, I think that we have kind of bought into a lame and tame kind of faith. I did something interesting in preparation for this lesson. I decided to Google lame and tame Jesus. I've got a picture of what shows up when you Google it. And I actually bought one of these from Amazon.com. It's a rubber duck Jesus. I mean, they, they, they've got a beak for his mouth. He's holding a lamb. I told Hannah after this sermon, I would be glad to donate that to her. And she said, that thing creeps me out. Keep it far away from me. But I want you to think about what we have ended up doing so much with, with, what, with our faith. We have decided that that challenge of dying to self, taking up a cross daily, and following after Christ, we have traded that in for nice and polite. Here's a Barna study that talks about Christian dads. It says five out of six men in America claim they are Christians. Two out of six, one-third, say that they are involved in a faith community that actually makes an intrinsic difference in the way that they go about living their life. And I have to ask the question, why? And here's what I think it is. I don't think we challenge people. I don't think we call them to great things. I think we are quite satisfied with people just coming to church. And if we fill the room up, we've done what we are supposed to do. And yet I can't find in Scripture anywhere where that's the case. What I find is Jesus saying, go into the world. Go make disciples. Go make a kingdom difference. I don't find Jesus anywhere asking us to collect. But he asked us to go. And he asked us to go make a difference. I think we have traded the gospel for slogans. You, you remember this slogan? I've got a picture, a patch of it. The WWJD slogan. 
What would Jesus do? And everybody had the armbands and everybody had the things that went on with that. There was a biker who was converted to Christianity, loved to ride motorcycles, loved to ride his leathers, have his leathers on, and he would sit there. He found a WWJD patch. He didn't know what it meant. But he saw other Christian bikers wear it. So he put one on his leathers and he wore it. He was riding by himself one day. And he comes and he stops and he's getting something to eat and kind of refreshing. And he runs across another Christian biker and he says, oh, WWJD, I'm a believer too. And the first guy goes, okay, I'm going to ask you because I've never asked anybody else. What does WWJD mean? And the guy said, you really don't know? And he said, no, I really don't. He said, it means what would Jesus do? And the first guy thought, oh, I thought when I first put it on, it meant we want Jack Daniels. Had no idea. We're good with slogans. We don't call people to significant things. And yet it's interesting. Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee. And he finds a group of fishermen. And he points at them. And he says, come follow me. And as Stephen Curtis Chapman says in his song, for the sake of the call with reckless abandon, they came. They dropped everything, fishing nets, professions, and they came. Listen, we have trouble getting people to drop their remote controls. I want you to think about that. We have trouble getting people to do those kind of significant things. Yet we are called, and I think we have always been intrinsically wired for challenge and adventure. God said in Genesis 1 verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We have been hardwired from the beginning to be challenged to do great things. And yet when it comes to matters of faith, we are satisfied with just enough. Thoreau made this interesting statement. He said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I think if we were able to do a poll and you were able to talk about your life. A lot of our lives look like get up, go to work, come home, do a few things, go to bed, repeat. Get up, go to work, come home, do a few things, repeat. It's why you have that classic line in Braveheart that says, All men die, but few men, few men really ever live. Here's what I want to say to us as a church and to dads particularly this morning. You are called to more. You are called to be greater. 
You are called to dream kingdom kind of dreams. You are called to make a kingdom difference. You are called for more than just doing polite church. Who's drawn to that? Who wants that? But when we make a kingdom difference... When we will step out of our comfort zone and get involved in the things that God calls us to, we're in great shape. Listen, if you want to be dangerous, step out and start doing some of the things that Jesus did. I loved Rebecca and Ryan's communion meditation because it was centered all on this is who Jesus was and this is what Jesus calls us to and this is who Jesus is he is our teacher he is our example he is our model paul in 1 corinthians chapter 16 closes this letter out to the corinthian church in verse 13 there are these words that i think are meant for the church in general but i think on father's day they are particularly good For Christian dads, look at these words. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Four things I want us to look at this morning. Here's the first one. It's alertness. Be on guard for your family. We're all called to do that. Because, listen, Satan's very good at his job. His job is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's excellent at accomplishing his mission. And the way that he goes about doing that, if Satan can distract me, then Satan can deceive me. And once Satan deceives me, Satan can destroy me. And it's on me to stay on point. And the only way that that happens is in the context of community. Because I can't see what I need to see. And I need people to help me understand what it is that I need to do and who it is that I need to be and how I need to be on guard. Peter said it in 1 Peter 5, 8 when he made the statement, be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We have to be on guard for what Satan is launching against our families. We live in a culture that is counter what Christ has been all about. And we need to understand that. We need to see it for what it is and we need to be on guard. Here's the other thing that we need to be alert for and watchful about. It's for those God-sized opportunities that God places in front of us. See, we need to be watchful about that as well. i got to tell you, one of the things that we've started doing that I'm the most excited about is the work the mission committee is sponsoring at the Main Street Church every first Sunday of the month. We've got more volunteers signed up to go do that, prepare meals than we can use on a... So we just have to rotate them in so that they can be used. That's a wonderful thing, a God-sized opportunity that's there. 
I've loved what Debbie Williams and the Covenant class has done through the years at the bridge on that second Friday night feeding. God-sized opportunities that help our eyes get open and help us begin to see what's actually going on in the world. Be alert. Here's the second one. Have courage. Stand firm in the faith. Having a strong faith is having a strong understanding of who God is and where our true battle lies. Paul says it in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And listen to how he describes that. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take off the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Listen, there are battles in this life. There are things that are going to come your way that are unexpected, that you never saw coming. And you're going to have to stand firm in those moments. You're going to have to take those moments for what they are. It happened in the life of Moses. We In Bible class this morning, we were in Hebrews chapter 3, which is all about Jesus being greater than Moses. And you, you see it alluded to there, and you certainly saw it alluded to in the sermon series we just completed on Moses, that Red Sea moment where Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and they come up against the Red Sea and they look behind them and Pharaoh and his army is coming fast and people and sheep do what people and sheep do. They look to the leader and they go, what are we going to do? How are we going to address this? How in the world? We, we should have never left Egypt. We should have never, we should have kept it in status quo. Slavery was better than this. We're all going to die. And I want you to look at how Moses responds in Exodus 14, verse 13. He says, fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. See, there's some times, you all, where we don't need to be the ones who are doing the battle. The battle belongs to who? the Lord. It's his. And what we have to do is stand firm and allow God to do what God is going to do. And when he calls us to move, we move. And when he calls us to stay, we stay. We don't get caught up in the idea that we've got to run it in order for it to happen. If God is in charge, God is in charge and he will continue to do what he is going to do. Here's the thing I want you to know about God. 
He's not this genie in the sky that if you just magically say in Jesus' name, it's all going to get done. Nor is he the ever-seeing eye who is looking with a lightning bolt just waiting for you to mess up. But he's a warrior. And God is out there fighting against the principalities, the spiritual forces that are there. He is working. He is active. He has not retired. He's on his throne. And he's doing what only he can do. Here's the third piece of advice Paul gives. It's about strength and about being strong. I don't know about you, but I hate the cheesy Jesus movies. You know, the one where Jesus is this kind of wispy little guy. He's got blue eyes, which concerns me, considering probably that wouldn't have been true in his day. You don't see him as this active and powerful man at all. In fact, he just seems to always speak with a little bit of a cadence. As, and I hate those. Because I don't think that describes who Jesus is. Jesus was a carpenter in a time when there were no power tools. You went out and you worked with your hands and it was physical and it was hard. And I think there was something about that. Certainly I know there was something spiritual when he went and called disciples by the Sea of Galilee and he said, follow after me. But I think there was something physical about him as well that drew people to him, he had this incredible meekness. It's interesting. We have taken meekness and we have equated it with weakness. That if you are meek, it means that you are not strong. And yet the word itself means strength under control. The best illustration I've ever seen for meekness is to go to New York City and to see the riot patrol. You know, the officers that ride the horses, they get up on those horses and, and, and if there's a problem, they line those horses up side by side and on command, every horse steps into the crowd and continues to step into the crowd and will step into the crowd. Their strength, which on its own is powerful and could do damage beyond damage, is absolutely controlled. See, I will tell all of us and remind us, it wasn't nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love. Because he could have called down 10,000 angels. He could have done whatever he needed to do. But he chose those nails. And he understood by that choice, it was going to take more strength and more courage than any display of power could ever show. I love the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia stories. I love reading the books. I love just just how imaginative that moment was for him to describe these biblical truths in a way that children could understand. What is not commonly known is that filmmakers came to C.S. Lewis for years asking him if they could make movies about the Chronicle of Narnia stories, and he refused. Steadfastly refused. 
And the reason he refused is because he didn't believe that filmmakers would take Aslan, the lion, the character that represented Christ. He thought that filmmakers would tame him down. And he wouldn't be ferocious. And he wouldn't be powerful. And the group of filmmakers that finally got the film made, you see what Aslan looked like. That was their image. That was their drawing. That's what they presented to the Lewis family in order to make this thing happen. When Lucy, the little girl in the story, first learns about Aslan, she asks this question. Is he safe? I want you to look at the response. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Can I dispel a myth this morning? Following Jesus, taking up your cross, denying your, and denying yourself and following after him, that's not safe. The gospel is not a liability reducing option. The cross is where people go to die. And here's the truth. We have been called to come and die so that God can use us in ways he could never use us as long as we stay in charge. Christianity is not a call for everyone to be nice and polite to everyone. Philip Yancey, I thought, said it better than anybody I've seen when he made the statement. He said, how would telling people to be nice to one another get a man crucified? For what government would execute Captain Kangaroo? It's true. Nobody would do that. Jesus didn't call us to come and be nice. He called us to come and make disciples. And he called us to go into the world. And he called us to be involved with the least of these. And he called us to move out of our buildings and into the world in ways that make kingdom differences with a kingdom agenda as a part of what we're trying to do. The last part of this passage kind of ties it all together. Paul concludes by saying, love, you do everything in love. Now, would we say that ladies and men may love in different ways? I found some contrast with some moms and some dads I want to kind of show you. Let's put the first one of those pictures up on there. This is mom having some time with uh, her daughter. This is dad. Kids got ketchup. He just licks it off his face. A little different. How about the second one? Okay, we're at the amusement park. Here's mom on the swings. Here's dad in the race cars. Now, ladies, I understand. Some of you would choose the race car. I got that. I I understand that. But you kind of see the contrast there. Here's the next one. Oh, yeah. Here's, Here's mom teaching her daughter to cook. Dad just sticks junior on the grill and says, get into your work, son. Do the best you can as you go. Look at this last one that's here. This is Halloween. Here's the fairy princess. 
Dad dresses him up like Hannibal Lecter. Look, it, it, it's the reason that you don't let us go Halloween costume shopping with the kids, right? We love differently. And frankly, they need us both. Kelly Clarkson was the first American Idol. She has this incredible, gifted, gifted voice. Yet she has a father wound that has shaped her life. Her father and mother divorced when she was six years old. Her brother went to live with her dad in California while she stayed with her mom in Texas. And all these years later, even with all of the success, with the stardom, with everything that's happened to her, she still tries to figure that out. She made the statement, I don't know what my dad went through as a child, and I don't know why he left, and I'm not sure of the decisions that he made. And she wrote this song out of this entire experience that's called Piece by Piece. She says about the song, From my experience as a child, from going through a couple of marriages with my mom, I never had a man stick around. When people would say things like, I'm in love, it really didn't hold much weight or gravity for me. And I really didn't realize how much it affected me until I met my husband, Brandon, and I fell in love. And she said it was like, wow, so this is what this means. And this is what this is about. She said she wrote piece by piece after a conversation with her sister just kind of processing all of this. American Idol ended this year, and as they ended, they asked Kelly Clarkson to come and sing. She's very pregnant, about to have her second child. And she chose to sing piece by piece. And I want us to experience that moment because I think it helps us understand how important the role that God has given us is. Take a look at this. And all I remember is your back Walking towards the airport Leaving us all in your past I traveled 1,500 miles to see you I begged you to want me but you didn't want to But piece by piece He collected me up Off the ground where you abandoned things Yeah, piece by piece He filled the holes that you burned in me yeah, six years old And you know, He never walks away He never asks for money He takes care of me he loves me piece by piece. He restored my faith that a man can be kind and a father could stay. And all of your words, they fall flat. I made something of myself and now you want to come back. 
But your love, it isn't free It has to be earned Back then I didn't have anything you needed So I was worthless Piece by piece he collected me Off the ground where you abandoned things Yeah, piece by piece he filled the holes that you burned in me Six years old, you know He never walks away He never asks for money He takes care of me Cause he loves me Piece by piece He restored my faith That a man can be kind And a father could stay Peace by peace Peace by peace I fell far from the tree I will never leave her Like you left me And she will never have To wonder her worth Because unlike you I'm gonna put her And you know, he'll never walk away He'll never walk away He'll never break her heart He'll take care of things He'll love her Piece by piece He'll restore my faith That a man can be kind And a father And a father should be Great. Peace by peace. Peace by peace. He restored my faith. That a man can be kind and a father could be great. Do you know what great looks like? Great looks like deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Christ. Great looks like being alert and on guard for your family. To have courage to be willing to stand. Great looks like do everything that you do in love. Two weeks ago, I asked everybody in the room to draw a circle around themselves and to ask God to change the person inside the circle. I want to go back to the circle today. And I want to say to you, If you have had that dad that's done the things that we've been talking about this morning, 
or if you are that dad that is doing the things that we've been talking about this morning, you are so blessed. And you make this incredible kingdom difference. And here's the other thing I would say to all of us that we need to really kind of take a look at. While that is true for some, it is not true for all. She was six years old when that occurred, and she sings this song, and you still see how raw it is. My guess is that's true for some of us, too. So here's what I'm asking you to do as you draw your circle today. You ask God to make you the person that we've been talking about today. And that you ask God to open your eyes where you can see, because we got kids in this church. We got men and women in this church that have been so incredibly wounded in these moments. And for those of you who have been so blessed with great fathers and your great fathers, here's what we've got to do. Open our eyes and begin to see that the fields are white unto harvest and God is calling us to something bigger. He has not called us to polite church. He's called us to kingdom-changing church. And so as our elders couple gathered around the room and they pray, if you want to go, please do that. Jake, Hannah, and I'll be down front. Come and visit with us. This is its own place. If you want to be here, it's a good spot because it's the real circle that we're drawing. But we have some opportunities to make some differences. My question for dads and for everybody else in the room, are you up to that challenge? Are you willing to take that kind of risk? Let's stand.